Hey everyone, how you doing? It's Clayton here from howtodrawcomics.net and welcome to another episode of the HTDC podcast. Today I'm joined by co-host Ed Foychuk. Hey Ed, how What's you doing? Up? Hey guys, good to be back. <laughs> it's good to have you man. And Rick Bueller is back in the studio. <laughs> well, not I'm physically. I'm back baby! <laughs> that, was, that was a good entrance man. Well yeah. done. That's we needed theme music for Rick. Oh, I got a theme. I got a theme music, but that'll come later. Okay. Do you okay, want cool. to hum but it's great. It's great being back. I have really missed being being part of this, and I know you missed me being part of this because now, again, once again, the podcast is getting fun. Oh yeah, right. You got it, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right we on. missed you, man. We we really missed you. <laughs> yeah. No, we did. It hasn't been the same without you, man. All right. So today's topic is going to center around essentially how do you create a comic book story, comic book character, and essentially your own comic book universe in a way where it still feels relatable to the audience and thus they like it because it, it feels familiar to them, yet at the same time it seems unique and new and fresh, right? Because that's the ultimate struggle. Um, a lot of the time what we'll see is superheroes that kind of share very similar attributes. If you think about Spider-Man, you think about the X-Men, you think about the Fantastic Four, Batman, Superman, what do these superheroes all have in common? Well, we know that they all dress in tight spandex. A lot of them wear masks. Um, a few of them have white eyes. Um, they all have superpowers of some kind that they use to beat up the villains. And most of their storylines follow a fairly predictable and similar narrative. Yet at the same time, all of these superheroes have their own fan base. We buy their comic books specifically because they are who they are, you know, because they are Wolverine, because they are Superman. There's a lot of big followings behind these characters. So yep. how can they be so similar, yet at the same time, so very different, new and unique? So that's the question that I want to answer today because as comic book creators, that's the ultimate struggle. We're always trying to find this perfect storm almost where we've created something that, again, seems like it hasn't already been done before a billion times, yet people can kind of click into. Like they know and, and, and they understand what it is we're trying to present to them. All right? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, I've given a few examples there, but uh, Rick, what were you going to pop in and say? I was going to pop in and say the answer, best answer is look to Robert Kirkman. Oh, yeah. Why is that? The way he, the way he did Invincible, it's, he, he basically took all the cliches of superheroes and made something completely new out of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he did. I mean, it, everything you've seen in Invincible, if you're going to scrap it down to just look at the characters, are almost directly copies of other characters and he just he did something that I personally believe no one ever could in this day and age with this many years years after comics got popular and all that and made something made a superhero comic that at one point sold more than Batman and Superman did yeah totally I think he almost made what I would call a serious spoof do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, he took some of the some of the things that we see in comic books, right, and the ridiculous nature of it, and poked a little bit of fun at it, 
but still had a compelling character and story, right? And I, I think actually I've been seeing this more and more in um, in even the movies and stuff. You'll see Wolverine, uh, what was his, I think it was his first appearance in the X-Men or something like that. He gets pulled, this is like 10 years ago even in the movies, right? Mm. And uh, Hugh Jackman's pulled into the Xavier Mansion and stuff. And he's like, okay, hold on, let me get this straight. Your Storm and your Cyclops what do they call you wheels you know as he looks at xavier's wheelchair right you know like yeah. i think there's there's this self-deprecating uh, uh and self-spoofing humor mm. that's that's uh, tolerable and even enjoyable within the mm. uh superhero community so i don't think kirkman like i love invincible man I, I i love it but i don't think his was so far out there that i don't think other people can do it because i kind of did it in captain korea as well too is like you can take something you respect, poke a little bit at it. Like I took Korea, for example, and, and some things related to Korea, right? And I poked it a little bit, and but I still had fun with it. And I think hopefully the viewers can take away from that. There's like, ah, you know what? He, he, he was poking at us, but we were, all have, we were all laughing together type of thing, right? Mm. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Why do you think it is that stereotypes and cliches have such a bad rap? When you look at characters like, Let's take uh, Deadpool and Spider-Man, for example. These are two extremely similar characters. Or let's say Spawn and Venom, right? I mean, both of them have this super, this um, symbiote-like outfit um, that's, you know, dark-colored and has the white eyes. What exactly is it that makes a stereotype or a cliche feel bad when at the same time it seems to me and and correct me if i'm wrong because uh it, it, wrong. it feels like shut up Rick. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to compose myself here because right. I've, I've been thinking about this i've been thinking about it and it's very interesting to me because it would seem that i love some cliches while I hate others, and I love them specifically for the cliché. For example, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of horror, the horror genre as a whole. I really love sci-fi, and I really love uh, gangster movies. Like, I love The Godfather and, and stuff like that. And I will intentionally seek out these different genres. And you could say the same thing about, you know, Spider-Man, for example, right? Like, you you know that these things are going to play out in a specific way. And it's, you know how it's going to end. You know what kind of characters are going to be at play. And it's almost like you intentionally go after those specific things because they are what they are. Yet at the same time, you heavily dislike other things. Like, I was thinking about the genres I don't like as well. Um, musicals, for example, or, uh, you know, romance yeah. and and things like that. Like, I really did did not like the, the Glee TV show, and I'm not that much of a fan of Grease or anything like that. Like, I don't really like oh. satire a whole lot. Um, okay. So, I think it's... Yeah, you know, like and it's because it is kinda, how it is, you know? Yeah. You've already hit on it, I think, and you said it perfectly. You know, what do I get from these? And I think, um, you know, when we're searching out, like, let's say uh, we're watching Rambo, mm. or... You know, oh, yeah. some vigilante uh, uh, movie or even reading The Punisher. What what does that give the person that's 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 you know taking that in? Right, they're they're feeling uh, some type of empowerment. You know, they're mm. they're reading that story and think, geez, yeah, 
that guy that pushed me today, boy, I wish I could have told him what's up, you know, or whatever it is, right? There's this uh, certain feeling of, you know, power that comes from watching this on the big screen or reading it in comic books and stuff. So, you know, when we look at Spider-Man or uh, or some of these uh, geeky teen transformation movies and stuff like that, right? What is that? That's the the geek behind the scenes, but then in reality, you know, there's something more there and uh, there's a whole lot of geeks out there, you know, like almost, you know, uh, there's probably more geeks or people that think they're geeks than they actually are, right? Everybody has that kind of insecurity in them. And so they can relate to those characters that feel kind of beat down or, or pushed aside or the wallflowers or whatever and stuff. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's easy to, to write to kind of some of these big categories because there's going to be a lot of viewership in them. Here's what I think is weird when it comes to cliches and people hating on them is as soon as, as soon as they, as soon as the cliche they change, people get come back, people get angry at that as well. Like remember when Superman suddenly got, suddenly got this, uh, that freaking weird uh, hair, haircut. Back in the, <laughs> that was the nineties as well, right? When you get the people mullet. went over, people went crazy angry at that. And with the new fifty-two universe, when he got the new uh, new uniform, people went incredibly mad at that as well. But still, they want to see something new, but they don't want things to change. Mm. That's like people's nature in basic. People want things, people want new things, but they also don't want things to change. I mean, I see it all. You see, if you think about it, you see it all the time. If you try something new, people are like, "Yeah, I liked it better when you did that and that and that." And that's the frustrating part of doing almost anything because if you're too getting too stuck in something, people will complain. If you're out of nowhere change something, people will complain. Like if you if Ed suddenly decided to take Captain Fo uh, Captain Korea mm -hmm. and Put him into Canada. It put him into Canada instead, and called him and dressed Captain him in and pink and cat. Nah, no, that's too obvious. <laughs> but yeah, a cliche. People would right. go crazy, right? Yeah. So people want to say if people want changes, but at the same time, they don't want changes. Sure, sure, sure. I want to go back to what Clayton was talking about, though, when he brought up, you know, some of these. Uh, um, famous uh, characters and stuff like that, whether it's uh, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and these types of things, and how they have their their kind of copycat counterparts, you know, in, in other comics and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And you brought up uh, uh, Spawn and Venom, you brought up Deadpool and Spider-Man, and I think, though, when we look at a lot of these characters, right, you know, let's take Spider-Man and Deadpool. I remember I was at a Comic-Con and, uh, and a couple of my friends came to visit me at this table, right? And they were just girls from a neighborhood or whatever, and they were hanging out with me at the table and stuff, right? They didn't, they had no interest in comics, but whatever, right? Mm. And uh, they were just there to visit me because I was in, in town, right? And um, so they were, they were helping me at the table big air quotes there right and they're like yeah check out this spider-man and i looked down at the print that they were promoting for me and it, and it was deadpool right to them uh deadpool looked like spider-man and well pretty much the same thing right but for me yeah. wow no those two characters are worlds apart right I, I didn't even see really much of a connection to them but for them it was like yeah fully masked kind of red and dark colors and yeah okay looks looks about the same right and they kind of 
figured that they they were close enough and stuff. But I liken it to this. You know, have you ever? Um, we've all watched a lot of movies, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's this those B sometimes those actors or whatever that like two or three of them look the same. Do you yeah. know what I mean? There, what's that guy? He's this kind of mousy guy that played um, Jesse. Uh, he's got a, a a big nose, kind of small little uh, curly hair, like small little fro or whatever. And there's about three guys. Jesse Rosenberg? No, that's not his name. There's about three guys. Michael Cena. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Jesse somebody or whatever. There's about two or three guys that almost have that really similar look. And they kind of get, they all land the same similar roles and stuff. And And if... And being overseas here now, like when uh, when um, non-Westerners look at Hollywood movies, they'll be like, "Yeah, that person is isn't that the one from Terminator?" No, 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 no. That's that's a different actor. Yes, I know he looks the same. Yes, I know he has brown hair. You know, like <laughs> it, it depends how attached you are to to the stories and stuff. As a casual person involved, I think you know. They're not as intense about it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is a little interchangeable. And, and so I, I kind of liken these looks that we have in characters, these similar, whether it's spandexy look or, um, you know, big chest, big cape type of look. Uh, Rick, what was the guy you brought up again? Like Superman? Yeah, Superman and the Hyperion. Hyperion or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. when we when we think of these characters and stuff, uh, for us in the comic book uh industry and culture and stuff we're like oh you know we cringe and we kind of do a side eye and whatever you know and stuff but for the casual person they're kind of like well you know they're all kind of a little similar and stuff and Mm. so you know they don't see such a a divergence they don't see such a difference there they 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 just say oh well you know whatever you know like they're they're not as an intense in it so i think you really have to be in the mix to really care that much about some of this right yeah, kind of like, kind of like when people uh, people think I'm uh, I'm uh, me and Ed are the same. I mean, that, that, that happens. All the time as well. Yeah, that definitely happens. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes they uh, sometimes people think I'm a Canadian colossus, but I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm 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 just better. But it's okay. It, yep. It's confusing sometimes. I mean, it's hard it, to be both. It definitely is. You know, you you get people mad in the uh, in the Facebook group, and then they they send mean messages to me. I, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> That's oh, uh, that's boy. all part of the plan. Yeah, I know it is. I know. That's and it. I get all your good. And I get all your co- good. Uh, all your great messages. Yeah, you get all the praise, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let me ask you guys another question then. So, it, it seems to me, just based on what we've been talking about here, there needs to be a certain level of connection to these uh, these genres and these archetypes and these various, I guess. Uh, what would you call them? Properties, so to speak. You have yep. to be somewhat connected to Spider-Man on some level to see the difference between Spider-Man and Deadpool, right? And I remember experiencing this ex- actually with uh, Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon when I saw them as a kid. I was like, these are both the same style. They're just copying one another, you know? Yep. But I didn't realize that, you know, anime was a whole genre in and of itself. All right, cool. How so, dare you? So, uh, but, but imagine that. Like, if somebody uh, kind of... You know, if if I take a glimpse at a, a couple animes and I'm just just touching the surface, you know, I'm gonna say, oh yeah, you know, Attack on Titan, it looks really similar to this or whatever, you know, and and hardcore anime fans would be like, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you're you you know you're you know, because they're so much more invested in. It. 
And it's likewise when I take uh, my wife, we go to a Marvel movie and she'll be like, oh, that was nice. You know, I was like, no, it wasn't nice. You know what they did? They did this and this, but this was great. You know, and I get really passionate about it because I'm invested, right? I've got however many decades in, you know, in the mix of this, right? And so there's a lot more caring and feeling and, and background to it all, right? You almost have to take some time to get to know these characters. And maybe yeah. it's just that one story that you read of, uh, you know, Deadpool, for example. And that that's the one story that gets you hooked in and you get more and more exposed to who Deadpool yeah. is as a character. You get to know him on a deeper and deeper level. And yeah. it's kind of like, you know, when you go to class for the, the first time in the year and, and you know, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of new people. It's almost like every student at that point is kind of the same. Like you don't really know one from the other to an sure. extent. And and this can be like a you know a high school kid, for example, leaving primary school to, to enter into the high school world. You start out with a whole new class. You've got no friends. You don't know anyone. And it's kind of the same process, right? You start chatting with a few people here and there around the, around the, the canteen area and you have lunch together and you, you get to know people. Some of them you don't like. Some of them just are not your <laughs> cup of tea. Some yeah. are, you know, and you, and you get along really well because there's certain things that you and that particular other person relate with that allow you to establish that strong connection. So I think sure. what determines the outcome of whether or not you connect with one cliche or one stereotype or one archetype, one particular type of character over another is how much you can relate with that character based on personal experience, based yep. on beliefs, and based on your understanding of them. Because if you don't understand them, then you're not going to be able to relate with them. Oh, and that's where I think the importance of actually being able to fit your character slash story slash universe into one stereotype or another becomes really important because stereotypes are essentially buckets of relatability just waiting for you to click into. It's the first kind of point of entry, I think, into getting to know a character like Deadpool, Spider-Man, you know, Wolverine, etc., etc., etc. You know, I could list them all out here and go on forever. But do you guys get what I'm saying there? Yeah, oh, I yeah. think you got to be careful because sometimes, you know, the trope can get a little bit tiring. You know, the stereotype has been done so many times. So you got to flip the script. You got to turn it around. You got to do something with it. As as Rick brought up Robert Kirkman earlier, uh, that's what he did, right? He, he took the stereotype and just gave a little twist to it, right? Um, even with The Walking Dead and everything, right? You know, he he added his his little twist to, to all that. So I, I think if you're going to just regurgitate what's been done before, um, you'll probably get some pushback and or a lack of interest or something like that. But it's not like we're coming up with a lot of new ideas. You know, like I'm constantly reading and watching movies that'll be like, ah, oh, what the freak? That was Shakespeare. Yeah, you know I mean? Like how many times have we seen Romeo and Juliet done out in like yeah. aliens or, or uh, Vikings or whatever? Do you know what I mean? They, they're always, yeah. you'll, you'll change the setting. Writing. You'll change, yeah, but you'll change the setting. But really, so many of the stories, the human relationships, uh, it's always, you know, it's simple love triangles. It's 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 family dynamics. It's it's these kind of things that um, transcend uh, a lot of the the settings, right? And so, it's I think it's okay to use it. I I think just be careful if you make it too on the nose. 
you can either make it really on the nose, like really obvious, like uh, what Kirkman did with Invincible, or you 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 hide it a little bit and you say, okay, yes, this is is a little bit of of uh, Romeo and Juliet, but you know, don't don't think that they're going to both poison themselves in the third act or whatever. You know what I mean? There's going to be a twist here. Or don't get too complacent on it. Like throw enough twists into it that that people aren't aren't bored with it, right? So I think stereotypes tropes are fine but if it creates boredom then you know you're not you're gonna lose the audience right mm. I, I mean i mean you can't you you can't make something new without bringing in in some sort of stereotype that people can relate to because that would scare people off people need some reassurance that uh, of fami- familiarity oh yep. that's a hard word yeah. In order to get dragged into it and get get interested, so you have to bring stereotypes into it. You have to bring cliches into it in one way or the other. Mm. And if you then, after after you've uh, after you brought that in, and people say, "Oh, okay, I know this," and then afterwards turn it all upside down, like, "Okay, you drag them in. Now, now make everything go be crazy." Then there's a bigger chance for people to say, "Oh, okay, I didn't see that. Now it got really interesting." Or they can go, "And hey, what happened to this? I wanted this. This was what 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 got me in here. I don't want to watch watch less read this anymore. This is crap now." Mm. So again, you need to be careful with that. And speaking of, yep. this is an idea that I I came up with when we just when we I saw this topic here. A fat beast is speedster. That's Say the great, that a fat, sloppy, oh, yeah. lazy speedster. Okay. You know what? That was done on, uh, I think, season four of The Flash, the, the CW series. I think they had this, this no, uh, no, no, he that was like... No, he, he slowed people down. No, no, I thought there was really. I thought it was a. Oh no, the turtle. I remember the turtle. Yeah. But wasn't there a, a speedster too? No. Okay. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. You know, conflating it with the turtle or something like that. But, um, yeah. You know, like you can take stereotypes and then turn them on their heads. I agree with you, Rick. Totally. And let let's not forget as well that new doesn't necessarily mean good. In fact, I would say anything that is completely new that hasn't ever been done probably hasn't ever been done for a reason. And one of the reasons that stereotypes keep on being done again and again and again and again and again and again is because they work. You you know, an an established model becomes set. Say, for example, the hero's journey that so many stories tend to follow. They they use it because if you use that template, it, it works. Like, it's going to create a compelling story that people are instantly hooked into and so i guess and i you know you kind of answered this ed but i'll just throw it out there as well to get some clarification and that is at what point do you think people are compelled to say hey you know what this has already been done before this is you know this this isn't you know, this is an original like this is just a you know they actually throw the, the term out this is a cliche well, think of it this way. Like, I think um, in, in our current system of things, 
money is the driver, right? And and the, in the kind of global market and stuff, one of the best ways we can see how effective things are is by the market, right? And so let's take movies, for example. I think that you can only reboot Spider-Man so many times before people start pushing back or something, right? Um, unless you do it really, really well. So we could have a hundred Godzilla movies. Mm. We can have uh, 10 different versions of Doctor Who. We can have, you know, uh, how many zombie shows that are out there now, right? And even, like, this is what you see. You see, like, a hit, like Vikings or something like that. And then all of a sudden there's Norsemen. There's all these other things coming out and stuff like that, right? And so long as they, they kind of can tap on something and then do it well, people will receive it well, right? You know, so you can still have, we're in our third Spider-Man now, right, mm-hmm. uh, with Tom Holland, and people are still going to see his films, right? Yeah. So something happened at the end of Amazing Spider-Man where um, with Andrew Garfield, people were, like, turning away. It was starting to fail a little bit. There was things going on behind the scenes maybe and stuff like that. But there wasn't a lot of excitement from the movie-going audience, right? But there is excitement with Tom Holland, right? So I, I don't think that it's... I think you could continue to recycle. You could recycle the same characters, same stereotypes, same tropes, same stories that we've had for, for you know, for all of human history type of thing. But if you do it well, people will still say, God damn, that was good. You know what I mean? Like, they'll still be watching that movie and they'll be like, you know what? It doesn't matter if they redid Shakespeare or they redid... Um, Star Wars, or they redid whatever. They did it really freaking well. And I want to watch it. I want to see it again. I want to tell my friends, you know, whatever it is. So I think as long as it's really well done, and of course that's subjective, but I think you can still have lots of success. Absolutely, man. Rick, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I completely, <clears throat> completely agree. Again, as I said, you have to have some familiarity in order to track people yeah. in, and you have to, you 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 have to give show show people a reason as to why they have to get attached to what you're giving them. And in order for them to get get attached, you it needs there needs to be familiarity because you don't get attached to something completely new. Yeah, big time. You know and that's why I, and that's why I've never had an iPhone. <laughs> I want to jump in here for a quick second. Yeah. I want to imagine something that is completely new. And it's really tough to do because we all bring our baggage into it. But have you ever encountered something like yes. uh, something on, on YouTube, some music video or, or uh, some art exhibition or something like that? And it's just, you look at it and you're like, that is the weirdest shit. You know, who would pay $500,000 for that painting? Or I don't understand this music or whatever it is. Like, there are going to be some people that are quick adapters to those things or will be pulled into it or whatever and stuff like that. But a lot of the general public um, has this hesitation towards new things, as Rick has been saying a few times here and stuff, right? So, like, these new fashion designs, new art, it has to be a little familiar for it to be widespread adapted. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can have a boot and then it'll kind of grow off of that basic premise or something. Or you can have some relatable 
music video or something but if it's so far out of there people what's the term that they use oh it's ahead of its time you know it was it was a great premise but it was 20 years ahead of its time people just weren't ready for it and how many times have we heard that type of phrase and then you look back and say oh yeah actually that that wasn't that bad it was just it just hit at the wrong time they you know the people weren't ready exactly i agree and now thanks to you i have to change our podcast spotify ratings because you oh, said really? yeah what were we rated at i was rated it i was rated it kid friendly oh yeah cuz i'm kidding drop the occasional bad word <laughs> all right that was yeah. a joke that was can... just a little that was a, just a little advertisement that we are on spotify guys oh yeah, yeah I, okay yeah i know i yeah that's cool we're on spotify i got to start uh, listening to it on there right on totally um yeah, I think you guys are 100% right on what you're saying here. And it begins to allow us to create this formula of what would make an interesting and unique character that would be relatable at the same time. And there's a few tactics. And what I'll do first is I'll share mine. And then okay. we can kind of build off of one another. And I'm sure, yep. Ed... You know, you've created plenty of characters for Captain Korea. You've been inspired by plenty of them as well, namely the X-Men yep. s- slash Marvel in general. And <laughs> yeah. and Rick, you know, no doubt, man of mystery, you've got your own inspirations on top of that as well as your own ideas. Oh, yeah. Now, um, despite the fact that, you know, I can draw a little bit, just a little bit, I'm a <laughs> relatively... <laughs> I'm a relatively unimaginative dude. A lot of... My ideas aren't original whatsoever, but I'm somebody who gets inspired constantly by the things that I take in. I'm a huge fan of movies. I really, really love movies. I love, again, I love, I really had to think hard as to what kind of movies I didn't like. You know, musicals were one of the only ones that I could say definitively I'm I'm probably going to actively avoid, right? Um, Comic books are kind of the same. Like, I really love artwork that just gets my like it makes me literally want to put down the comic book and i just want to start drawing um i like music as well that kind of gets my creative juices flowing without these forms of input my mind is just full of tumbleweeds essentially right there's there's just nothing there for it to work with and the best i could do without that input is maybe come up with something ultra generic on the page because and this is just my belief, I think that our brains are really, really great at storing information and doing stuff with it. You know, they're great at, you know, you just give it, say you give it Batman, you say, hey, do something with Batman, create something unique, combine Batman with Spider-Man and see what happens. You know, throw in a bit of mystique as well, just (laughs) just for fun. Your mind will start to go crazy. Like, for me, my brain just, it's it really like enjoys the process of putting together this puzzle once it's got the pieces. And so one thing that I do when it comes to creating a new character is I'll go into research mode. And by research mode, what I mean by that is I'll spend a week just binging on movies on Netflix and, you know, so I'll go, go back to some of the classics on my shelf that I've collected over the years, like Aliens and Predator and, and the Terminator. You know, I was a huge fan of Arnie. Um, 
and then I'll, I'll read a few comic books as well. I'll kind of get my research up in that regard, make sure that I'm looking at some of Sylvester's stuff, remembering how I like to do my cross-hatching and whatnot, and, and just getting a feel for how the comic books might be laid out and stuff, and you know, thinking about the different characters that are out there. And then what I'll do is I'll kind of combine that into one big blender, and I'll add a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a sprinkle of this, and some of my own unique secret herbs and spices into the mix until... And the power of the girls from the barn. Totally. Oh, sorry, sorry <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong kill. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And then I hope not. Damn, I hope not. But then, you, you know, I'll mix it together and I'll see what comes out. And that's when the, the creative process starts happening for me. Now, a lot of this stuff just happens automatically. It's, it's, an, it's an automatic process for me. I don't consciously necessarily think about it. My mind is just kind of programmed at this point to be on the lookout constantly for, for new ideas that I might be able to do something with later on. So I'm always creating this reference library, this mental reference library inside my head, as well as physical ones. Like for that character that you guys see me post a, a few a week or so back, the concept, yep. um, I actually already had a folder on my computer that I'd been collecting references in. And just a bunch of sci-fi references I found on Pinterest, things that caught my attention, right? And so in a way, the things that inspire you allow you to be a unique artist in that regard. And while they're inspiring you, you're taking from things that kind of already work, and then you're reorganizing them in a new way. So in theory, it should still work, but at the same time, it should also be new. So the, the relativity is still there. People can still understand what they're looking at. Yet at the same time, for them, it's it's been reorganized, and so it, it, it there's this sense of freshness to it. So yep. that's kind of my take on it. That that would be probably the the <laughs> the overview of my creative process in a nutshell. Cool. So basically, what you're saying is you'll you'll take a lot of stereotypes and blend them together and to make make something new. To an extent. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying that as being mean or demeaning because that's usually how things work and it can and very much many times work really well as we talked about well sometimes it's multiple elements in the one stereotype as well yeah 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 exactly and that works for, uh, for yeah, some works. people me per me personally whenever i try to think i uh, think uh, think about something i usually always go with the with the familiar like something really obvious stereotype and then i want to really wreck my brain to try and find something that's really, really out there, like really crazy, something completely opposite the stereotype, usually. Like like a fat, lazy uh, speedster. That could mm -hmm. be actually be fun to do because I, and I also think, like he gets exhausted if he runs too fast, he has to stop because his sides hurts or something and he needs a break and, and stuff like that. that. That would be the invincible like kind of humor that could work. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, my process is really similar to Clayton's, um, but has a little bit of a difference to it and stuff like that. So s see if I explain it and then see if it makes sense or whatever. Because I haven't really verbalized this at all. But um, yeah, so what I do is same type of thing is I'm in like uh, a research mode. But that's kind of... I never consciously do... Well, I, I do consciously do it, but that's a different stage. This is more like... You know, just as I'm living life, you know, you're you're filtering different things that are coming through and stuff like that. And, of course, I get it from comics, TV, movies, whatever kind of thing. But one other place that I get it from is the news. 
So like, I'll give you an example of a character that I created recently. Um, In Canada, there's been with uh, a lot of First Nations, like Native Canadians, there's been a lot of uh, issues with missing women women going uh disappearing off the reservations and stuff like that and just disappearing and and tens of thousands of them have been gone and not a lot of police activity and really hard to track down right and um and there was a movie called dance me outside that came out about 20 years ago whatever uh you know a canadian movie i don't expect anybody to have seen this thing but you know this it's kind of something that builds up in my mind it's like oh yeah i watched that movie and it really had an impact and then i've been seeing these things on the news and that also has been like it's almost like an itch i get this itch of a character in my head that i'm like you know what this story kind of needs to be told right like i think Mm -hmm. that this would be something that you know that i I think this kind of needs a voice or something like that right and so i kind of get this this itch and then what i do then is then i go into kind of uh, the the real research mode is i start reaching out i start reaching out for information and stuff so like I'll, i'll start doing research and start hitting up news articles like actively searching it out and then what i actually did in this case of the character was uh a friend of mine that I've known for years, she's uh, she's a caseworker uh, in northern Alberta for um, for children and stuff like that, child welfare on the reservations, right? And so I reached out to her and kind of bouncing ideas off of her. So I try to take something that I find very interesting and then I try to know a lot, a lot about it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'll try to really like if I don't know about it, if I don't have personal experience with it, um, or even if I do, I want to dig deeper and stuff like that. Like say, for example, Captain Korea, I lived in Korea for 15 years. So I had a wealth of information, but I also tapped into other friends uh, that knew even more or uh, Koreans that were uh, better with the language than I am so that they can add in parts to it as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so then I, like I said, I go into this uh, more research and I don't want to say it's an interview because it's not really like that, but it's like just, really seeing if I could get to the heart of and of making a character and stuff, right? Mm. And then it goes into the actual, okay, now I've got something in my head. I've got a bunch of information. How would I do this? And then I start uh, scripting and, and, and thumbnailing it out and stuff like that. I start doing character sketches. I start looking for references. Who would this character look like? How would I, how would I picture her or him or whatever and stuff like that? You know, and I, I kind of, and then once I get to that point, I'm like, okay, now, you know, cause usually what happens is this is, I, I, I want to say this badly, but this is like a five or 10 year process. Cause I've kind of like, I'll get an idea and then I'll sit on it and it'll just be way the back of my skull. Right. And then, uh, you know, a couple of things will pop up in my, in, in my life or something. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? That's right. I kind of thought of that. Right. And then finally, you know, I'll do all the, all my research right and really get it down and kind of thing and then i'll look at it and say okay now do i want to invest what is this it's going to be a hundred hours or more am i passionate enough about this project that i'm gonna because right now it's just kind of been here and there brainstorming and stuff like that right but i'm gonna put a hundred plus hours into a project like this you know is and how is this a story that is that I need to tell I don't know if anybody's going to like this story or not and everything, but is this a story I need to tell and how am I going to tell it? What voice am I going to have with it and stuff like that? Right. And so, you know, 
there's cliches that come into it because my own experience there's there's these tropes that'll come in and stuff like that there's there's these familiar things that'll come in but in reality like for me it's just like listen this is i I, i've got this itch and and it needs to be uh, you know it needs to be scratched and i'll keep scratching it until i either get a relief or i get the story out there Mm. So does that sound really different from you? Does it sound a little bit familiar? Does it sound strange? I don't know. What do Man, you think? Man, I relate so much with that itch. It's and it, I, I, you know, the part where you were saying it stays in the back of your mind and it's something yeah. that you just can't shake for years. Ex- exact same process for me. Maybe not years, but a few few months. I'll be like, yeah, this thing, and it builds and it evolves and it becomes more refined just as it kind of ferments in the back of your mind until it just it won't be tamed anymore and you get a little loose yeah yeah yeah. what about you so and sometimes you know just a character sketch Mm. is enough for me like you know what i'll I'll, it'll be something and it'll be like yeah you know what uh i've got to get this itch and stuff and i i sketch out the character and i'm like you know what that was good enough you know like i i put down what was brewing and stuff like that and, Mm. and i don't need to carry it any further and then other times I'm thinking, nope, you know what? I don't think this will be ever satisfied until I tell a story. I also liked what you said about news stories as well and, and kind of real-world events. And you could also tie, you know, actual people in your life to your sources of inspiration as well and, and what you base a lot of the characters on and the situations that unfold, you know, actual previous experiences that you've had with friendships and, you know, both ones that have been great and others that have fallen apart. I think that can really Absolutely. add you know, a certain human element, a, a level of tangibility to the relationships within the characters inside your story. I think that yep. can be a real thing that, that helps people relate and, and kind of experience your characters on a whole other level of depth. And so, you know, Captain Kriya was actually born out of what's what in Kriya we call a salaryman. Salaryman is kind of like, have you ever watched a movie Office Space? Uh, no, uh, no, I, I've okay. seen The well, Office. That's good. Yeah, Office Space is a very classic movie of basically being, you know, the the discontent, the 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 lack of feeling of a future of working in an office or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And that's mm. that's kind of the salaryman thing, and that's where I wanted to start Captain Kree out of was like, you know, this was just the the humdrum drone type of feeling that you're trapped like a, a rat in the maze and i guess you know this almost taps into the matrix type of feeling and and then we get into will you take the pill do you know what i mean that whole so you know somebody could accuse i didn't even think of it now but now that i've kind of been talking and making this connection it's like listen you can be satisfied with your crappy little desk or take this step take this pill take this opportunity whatever it is that's offered to you and in captain korea's chance it was the the suit right Absolutely. Um, he, he was offered the position of, uh, it's actually a position of Captain Korea, right? And so he, he stepped out of that, uh, that rat's maze and stuff, right? Mm. But yeah, for me, I, I definitely tap into real life. I, I think that there's so much, uh, amazing and beautiful stories around us and stuff like that, that, um, you know, I might not be the best storyteller and and everything, but I just I see it all around me, and I'm like, yeah, this this is some cool shit. We got to tap into this. Absolutely, man. Rick, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, like, have you ever I'm had not... an idea for for a story or character or? Oh, I ideas for stories. I I got plenty of. What's your creative of, process? But, but I've never had ideas for characters. I usually have ideas for all already already created characters 
Well, that's hmm. interesting. Like, yeah. Batman, Superman. I even had ideas for Captain Korea after I read that. A lot of ideas <laughs> was like, that's hey, very interesting. He, he, could, he could do this and do that. But I've never had for, char- for, for uncreated characters per se, as you guys have. Yeah. But... Mm. For other for other characters, uh, other known characters, I, my 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 mind can run crazy with ideas, and they usually already always do. Well, if you ever need I've a writer for like uh, for Captain Korea, Ed, you know where to go. <laughs> yeah, right. But I was gonna say I've, I've met people like Rick before, where yeah. you know the the um the actual creation of a character might not be in their wheelhouse or not their big point of interest, but that you know give them that baseline character and stuff. And, you know, and inspire them by a little bit of story. And then all of a sudden they're coming with the coolest stuff, right? They're coming with the cool stories afterwards and stuff, right? So, yeah, yeah that's awesome, Rick. Yeah. You can you can always hire me and I'll, I'll gladly make Captain Korea popular. <laughs> oh, roll right on. I, I can use him to be popular. Uh, be yeah. uh, sorry, man. It, it's, it's a good, it's a good, it's good as it is. It was, a, it was just what the youngsters call a sick burn. No, no, I, I've, I've been burned before. I, I recognize the feeling, man. It's, it's, it's all good. Actually, you know what? I've got a writer that's, that's worked. He's a couple issues ahead of me now on Captain Korea. Like, I got to actually draw them and stuff, right? And uh, my problem is, and this is a problem with all of us artists and stuff like it, is like, I've got X amount of projects in front of me. I've got a passion for a few of them. Um, and... I've got some that make more money than others. <laughs> you know what I mean, some that actually pay, some that don't, right? And um, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like, okay, well, where do I put my attention next week? Do you know what I mean? Where do I put mm. it the week after that and stuff, right? And so, unfortunately, I've with Captain Korea, I've often just kept putting it to my back burner and stuff. With actually, not just Captain Korea, with all of my kind of creative projects. I, nine times out of 10, I'll be like, oh, well, I've got something else on my table or like a paying mm. commission or whatever. Whenever commissions land, whenever paying stuff lands, I always kind of put those ahead of my own, uh, you know, creative pro- projects and stuff I got for better or worse, you know, like then every my, my stuff always seems to get bumped. Yeah, totally. Totally, man. No. You, know, you know, one, one thought that I had just as we were talking here at, uh, and when I was talking about that character I came up with the other day as well, I, I had kind of given away a bit of a, a synopsis of, of the story. Yeah. And the story, you know, I don't think that I really, I, I hadn't really taken it from anywhere in particular. I'd kind of, maybe that Johnny Depp movie from back in the day that came out like five years ago or something where he's he was able to transfer his consciousness. I forget what it was called. Do, do you guys remember that movie? Is that the one with the AI? I think it was called Her or something like that. Is that the one? Uh, no, no, that's, not, that's, that's not cool. Johnny Depp. That was a good movie. Um, yeah. With Scarlett, Scar Joe. Yeah. Um, no, but... no, no, not that one. Yo, 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 no, well, Scarlett Johansson made the voice of the uh, female AI. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the one with uh, Joaquin Phoenix or something like that. Yeah, that's the one that we're talking that's about the, as well. That's the mm. one I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was one with Johnny Depp where, you know, he, he did essentially die and just got his, uplo- his consciousness uploaded to a computer. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's that's where he gets into an old man's body, isn't it? 
I'm not sure. I can't remember. But, you know, that's, you know, besides the point, that would have been, if anywhere, like where what would have been in the back of my mind maybe when I kind of come up with part of the story. But it's been really interesting to see the reaction that some people have had to this simple synopsis. I haven't even given the full thing away yet. Um, mm-hmm. And people have left their thoughts on both the character and this backstory. And they've compared it to lots of things that are out there. They're like, oh, this sounds like um, somebody compared it to... Uh, altered carbon, which I've never seen, and now I want to oh, see it. Oh, you should it, see it, right? Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they compared it to that. I'm like, cool, I got to see it. Some people compared part of the story uh, previously, the people who I'd told it to, to this movie called Annihilation, because there was components from that in in the story. I think I've seen that actually. Yeah, Ooh, it's a pretty the movie good you're movie. talking about, by the way, is Transcendent. Yeah, that's it. God damn it! I I googled it before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and, you know, I think this is tendency for us to go, oh, damn, like, like you f- it's almost like you feel like you've been busted or something. Like, people, people like, calling you out, like, they're saying, oh, man, that sounds like this movie and that sounds like that. Um, but you know what? I would say that, un- unless you have gone out and you've completely ripped something else off, I'd say when people compare your idea to other ideas that are already out there that are successful... I mean, that's got to give you a huge clue into knowing that, hey, you're onto something. Like, this idea has been done in the past, but it's worked. And you're, you're onto something here. Like, the evidence is there. So yeah. you should, instead of, like, being turned off and, like, try to change it up into something else, like, keep on going with it. Like, dig deeper with it. Because I think, you know, no matter how much you change it anyway it's going to be comparable to something else because when people compare it to something that they've seen before, they're just, that's the best way that they can relate to this idea that you're presenting to them is to compare it to something that they already understand that they already know about. If they're not able to do that, by the way, if you know, people say that we love novelty and that we like taking in new information. Well, yeah, that's true. But only when we're able to relate it to something that we already have, know, that we've already experienced. If it's completely new and, and foreign, something that we've never touched on before, we'll usually, we well, we might not notice it because it's just not in our peripherals or mm. we'll completely dismiss it because it's almost like, so I always use this example, right? It's like walking past a stranger on the street, like you're not going to, talk to them you're not going to enjoy hanging out with them more than somebody you know a friend that you're familiar with however if you can walk past that stranger and say that they're wearing the same spider-man t-shirt as you then all of a sudden there's this there's this connection of relativity established you know you guys are in the same club you're you're spider-man fans so you, you feel this sense of of connection with them at that point so you've got to make sure that i guess you know, you're, yeah, your story isn't so different that people just can't relate to it, that they can't, there's not something there that they can latch onto and be fooled further in by. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful because, you know, it, there can be familiarity to it. You know, people could say, oh, it's kind of like Minority Report or, you know, The Walking mm. Dead or something like that. But then you've also got to look and say, okay, well, how saturated is the area that you're you're writing into or creating into and stuff like that like oh, for yeah. example let's look at zombies you know like uh zombies were a massive hit for the past 10 years i want to guess you know for a while uh, i think yeah. that's re- you know 
And of course, zombies were popular prior to that. Some of the original great zombie movies that had come out of, what was that, the late 70s or something like that, right? And then occasionally every five years, there'd be a zombie movie, but nothing compares to the last 10 years of zombie mania, right? Mm. But we also know that there's a certain fatigue that starts to set in, right? And that people are like, oh, another zombie film. And that we know that networks and, and studios start like, just milking it for for cash and stuff like that. They'll start putting out substandard quality, and that that will maybe kill uh, the hype, the genre, the the subcategory, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, even the current things, zombies are kind of on the way down. And in the last five plus years, every year we've had five or more superhero movies, right? And so, as fans, you know, all of us are like, woohoo! You know, we all get like five superhero movies a year right and we're we're really giddy about it uh, we turn on the tv and there's all these new series that are always coming out and stuff like that and generally speaking people the studios are trying to make a good effort at it but what happens is we read uh news reports and like is it too much when will it end is it oversaturated and you start getting detractors and stuff like that right and i think that we have to be careful that I think people will keep coming back again and again and again to zombies, to heroes, to whatever, but the quality really has to be there. We have to make sure that, um, you know, if we're going to be feeding the same stereotype to the audience, that we're not just taking the easy road and saying, well, you know what? Zombies worked for him, so... I'm going to, you know, follow Kirkman's lead and I'm going to say, you know, uh, the running dead and I'm just going to run with it. You know, like people will, will push back on it and stuff like that. Right. Mm. So I think that, uh, you know, we got to make sure as creators that we're, we're not being lazy with it, that, uh, we can take stereotypes, but we, we don't use them as this massive, not even a crutch as a wheelchair. You know, we don't use it as, uh, you know, we, we, we can, you know, make it as a bit of a jumping off point, but then we better create something really, really good. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, like, these things do come around in cycles. Zombies will go out of fashion, they'll come back in fashion, because they're good, you know, like, it's it's a model that works. But it vampires. does get old. Yeah, vampires. Australians. Australians. It's true. <laughs> do we ever get old, man? I don't know. Like, Chris Hemsworth seems to be a hit right now. But before him, who was there? There was Crocodile Dundee, right? Yeah, Crocodile Dundee. Um, Margot <laughs> Robbie Bourbon. now is a big deal. Yeah, the Aussie's doing well in, in Hollywood. I'm proud. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, but yeah, man, like, guys, the thing is, is that these things get so old that people just, they need a break sometimes. Yep. Like, society in general, they, they just need a break, a, a minute to... To kind of forget about the zombies and to start missing them, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's the real key is, is they need to start missing them. Um, you well, know, here's a bit of my worry. Yeah. Sorry, I just this yeah, just popped ahead, into my man. head. Pop in. Like, you know, I'm, I believe I'm older than you guys, right? And I remember oh, yeah. growing oh, up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know. <laughs> how old are you, Ed? <laughs> As I'm coughing here, uh, but I remember how massive westerns were. Westerns was, you know, Westerns were every second movie, TV show, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Westerns were everything. And now 
when was the last time you saw a Western movie? Yeah, I mean, uh, for a while. Tomb, Tombstone, uh, The Unforgiven. No, 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 no. Westworld was fun. There's been a few that Chris, Chris Pratt was in one recently as well, The Fabulous Five or Seven or something like that. Oh, Adam yeah. Sandler, oh, okay. Adam Sandler has made one. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, it's spoof, right? You know, they're, they're yeah, spoofy yeah. ones. Yeah. But no, nothing I, I, talking compares Eastwood, to the right? old Western ones, right? <laughs> you know, like they had their heyday through the 50s and 60s and then into the 70s and then then kind of died off, right? With the occasional one happening, what, every five years now, maybe, right? Mm. You know, they, they just, they they can't compare it to what they were back in the day. So that is my one worry is that we overcook superheroes so much that they go the way of the Western. Yeah, I guess the good thing with superheroes and, and heroines um, is that they <laughs> yeah. they kind of have this immortal ideal that that people look up to in a way. Like we we always want to we're always striving to be the ideal of ourselves. And I think that that superheroes tend to personify that in a way you know they are the the epitome of, of what it means to be a good person who puts others before yourself they are the epitome of of strength and and goodness and you know and even physically uh we, we all aspire to be some some somebody like the superheroes that we admire in the comic books that we read and oh, so yeah. it's, it is very interesting ed because i i kind of agree with you but part of me is like, oh, maybe, maybe a superhero is an exception. I like to hope so, but maybe not. But hey, if I would have asked the average American in 1960, you know, what do you think of cowboy films and are they dying? They'll be like, no, cowboy no culture is American culture. You know, the, the, the lone gun, you know, that's part of America. And they were right. They're still right. That's intrinsically American. But those movies are... You know, it's just not as big nowadays, and it hasn't been for quite some time, not compared to its heyday, right? Yeah, totally, man. Right, we got a few more yeah. minutes here. Um, so wh what I'm going to say is one last thing just to kind of tie everything up, and then, you guys, if you've got anything else to add, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. But uh, And Rick really kind of made me think about this before when he brought up the Fat Flash idea. And it, it made me think about how, you know, Flash is... When you look at Flash, it it'd be hard to have have a flat Flash fat Flash in a way because fat Flash of of how because uh, of his speed, you know, it kind of makes sense that his character would would need to be like super, um, well, um, you know, like ripped and and like low fat and stuff. Just because you can imagine the energy that that would take, and and how much fat you'd burn going that fast, right? Well, so I want to. Yeah. I want to jump in here quickly because yeah, this has been the argument about Superman. Because, oh, yeah. you know, Superman and early, all the early spandex heroes and stuff kind of came out of the uh, uh, the circus performers, strongman, all of that kind of stuff. We yeah, know yeah. this. This is comic book history, right? So <laughs> totally. we, we, we looked at Superman as strongman. And so, you know, he's super strong. So he must look like the super strongman type of thing, right? But his origin doesn't, actually in the comics doesn't really make sense in that way because he's just an alien. He happens to get, unless, you know, I'm not a DC dude, so somebody else can correct me here, but he happens to be super strong here on earth because of our son and that type of stuff. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so he doesn't need to have super muscles <laughs> 
he doesn't have the need to be muscular looking because it's it's not his he he doesn't hit the gym and build up muscles to be super strong it's it's the sun that gives him that hmm. so He's been depicted in that way because of how we traditionally viewed muscles and strength and everything like that. But the truth is he could have been like Mighty Mouse or whatever, you know, like just some tiny little character or some mousy little dude and uh, still have the same super strength because he's an alien with alien physiology and that didn't really need to be depicted that way. The only reason he was is because it was grounded in the 19... When was he created? 1940s? 30s and 40s right and so like even in that at that time when he was first created like the the concept of a superman and flight even was beyond them and stuff like that so they they grounded him in the reality of where they were well i i I can i can give a geek answer to how why he's so uh, why he's so beefy and again i will i will again i'll point towards invincible because they actually they actually tackle that like really easy like when, okay. he, he, when he's flying, it still takes uh, it or do something really, really that's normally over his limit, like pushing himself flying faster than usual and stuff like that. He still drains his body, which, as you know, when you drain your body, uh, that's true called training, it, things grow, yeah. things get, get better. So okay. if there's need to need to an explanation for how he got so big, it's simply because he keep pushing his limits of uh, like flying speed and mm. what he could lift, and he's been in all ends of the universes where his strength hasn't count, doesn't count, and all that. But I do agree with mm. you with your idea. I'm just being geeky here and coming up with an answer <laughs> to why he's uh, no, why he's looking so. Big. I think it's good that you are, man. Yeah, I, I like to hear it. <clears throat> It's cool. So that's my that's my idea of it. That even though he's an alien, even though he's he's on Earth and it's different there, there's the, the he was still weaker to begin with than he is now. That's always been known that he he had to practice and train uh, like the for many years at least. Now it's come out that of course he had to train to get it to know and master his powers, and you know as well as I do if you had. If you if you train to master something, you usually, especially if it's physical, you get bigger. It gets it get noticed on you on your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Ed does know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's okay. All right, cool. Awesome, guys. Well, you know it is an hour, so uh, should we wrap it up here? Sure thing. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, I gotta say it's been an absolute pleasure this episode. Rick and Ed, thanks, thanks so much for joining me. And You're uh, welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it was great. I think this was a really great episode. I'm glad that we that we chose this topic and and we got into it. We unpacked it, so to speak. I think we all had a really unique perspective on it. Some of our perspectives were very similar as well at the same time. But I think that yep. you know sharing our insights on this platform is. It's one of the best things that I think we can do, and I and I, I know that, and I know this is true for you guys as well. Is that when we end the call, we're going to go away thinking about how how much we've learned just from sitting here with one another chatting away. So no, yeah, no, just you, they, mm-hmm. just, just you, and you, and you're welcome, Clayton. You're welcome yeah. that I can bring that to you. 
<laughs> I think, yeah, I think me and Clayton have talked about it, especially being teachers and stuff, mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, verbalization of your ideas and, and concepts and approaches really helps you, you know, uh, understand yourself better and everything, right? So not only are we sharing, but we're really uh, exploring our own thoughts on the subject, right? Big time, man. And uh, to all the listeners out there who have tuned in yet again this week for our episode, thanks so much for being here with us. It's been an absolute blast. Until next time, keep on creating, keep on practicing, and we'll see you here again next week.